faithfulness of God. And uh, Ant has been looking at um, the book of Galatians, and we've been going through a series in Galatians, and he has so wonderfully explained up till now just a bit of the context of that letter, how um, when Peter, the apostle, came to a city called Antioch, he, because he was a Jewish Christian and he was coming to Antioch, which was mainly people that had converted to Christianity from a Gentile world, he mixed with them and he began to eat with them and he was relaxed with them and he got, got on so well with them. And he abandoned living in a very Jewish way with all the Jewish traditions about what you could eat or couldn't eat and all the cleaning rituals and all of those things. And so what started to happen was that in Antioch, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians began to relax and interact with each other as if there was no division in terms of rituals and things like that. But then what happened was these very imposing, very super-religious types um, who claimed that they were friends with Jesus' half-brother, James. They arrived in Antioch and they started putting pressure on Peter about mixing with un-Jewish Christians. And uh, I suppose you can see this in the life of Peter all the way through from when he denied Jesus when, uh, when he... Um, before when Jesus got arrested. But I think it was a thing that Peter battled with his whole life, and that was the fear of what others thought. And so when these imposing um, types came into the church and started saying, actually, Peter, you shouldn't really be mixing with Gentile Christians. You know they're not quite like us. Peter backed off from these relationships that he had. And so Paul publicly has to rebuke Peter. If you think of Peter, this great apostle who walked with Jesus, Paul has to publicly rebuke him for his inconsistency in how he lived out the gospel. So today what I want to look at is just a continuation of what Anne's been preaching, but looking at just two verses in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. And these two verses continue the story of what Paul said to Peter on that famous occasion when he publicly rebuked him. And so this is what it says in Galatians 2, verse 15 to 16. It says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, Peter had to, uh, Paul had to remind Peter that he had to go back to the basics. Salvation is by grace the kindness of God extended to us. It is through faith, not by keeping any laws or by our behavior that we are saved. Paul was trying to remind Peter, Peter, you're a great apostle. You've, you're the leader of the first church, Christian church. I need to remind you about the basics of what you believe. And Paul was also saying to Peter, that just as much as our relationship with God is restored and continued by grace through faith, so is our relationship with others. We receive others on the basis of grace. By faith, 
in what God is doing in their lives. Not by whether people fulfill some laws or not, or suit our standards or not. Just as we have grace with God, that gospel means we have grace with one another. And over the past few months, sort of at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, we've been looking at the culture that we want to see as part of Forest Town Church and what it looks like to be part of relating to one another. We've, we've tried to preach a series on a culture of grace. And um, these are some of the values that we are wanting to build into our lives at Forest Town Church. We've got some posters up in the front there. You can read them more on our webpage. Um, but these are things that we need to be talking about in our life groups, massaging into our hearts. Because although they're great on a piece of paper, it's another thing for them to become part of who we are and how we connect. And the first one, I suppose, is unity. And we want to say that we want to be a people who believe the best of each other, who defend each other's reputations and don't gossip in our conversations. I'm sure all of you will agree that is a wonderful way to God unity. And then we have a vision, to, a value of forgiveness. We don't want to be a people who hold grudges and allow bitterness to destroy relationships. And another value we have is servant heartedness because we want to be a people who seek to help others in need and work together as team players. And the other one is authenticity. I don't know about you, but letting your guard down and letting people see your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses can be a very challenging thing. But we want this church to be a safe place where we can be real without feeling judged. So you could actually share, I'm really struggling in this area, but I don't feel judged by sharing that. And we can have integrity with one another. And then another one of our values is honor and respect because we want to be a people who can show appreciation for each other. I mean, I just think of the guys who are playing this morning and Leslie who's doing the sound and Sophie who's doing up there and everyone who's prepared the tea and coffee. Everyone does their bit every Sunday. Someone is doing something. And I suppose a culture of honor is just saying, thank you. So I want to say, thanks, guys. So let's just give them a cheer this morning, all the people who did that. Thank Sometimes it's a little unseen thing. The, the people that came and switched on the urn and put on the coffee. Thanks, guys. Whatever it was you guys, whoever. <laughs> but God is good, and we honor and respect one another. Then there's generosity. We want to be those who sow generously of our time and our resources to see God's kingdom come. And the last one, I know it sounds like a very long list, but this is the last one. Courageous faith. We want this church to be a safe place where you can take risks to do the things that God has put on your heart. You know, just to maybe say, I feel I want to bring a word to encourage the church, or I feel I want to pray for someone for healing, or I want to go out and I, uh, there's something that God showed me that I want to do. We want to encourage you to find that space in this church where you can do what you can do. I love that Rich and... um, and uh, Derek each Sunday have prepared the foundations course. That's what they felt in God. They wanted to prepare material to help root people in Christ. Let's commend them. Let's give them a cheer. Great, guys. You 
you took a risk and you're doing what you wanted to do. And we just want to commend that in different people. Let's step out and be courageous. You see, as we give ourselves to a loving God and we walk in step with His Spirit, the overflow of that is that we begin to enjoy grace-filled relationships with one another. But I want to ask this question, is that easy? Because even this great man, Peter, who was the leader of the world's first church, he apparently found it hard. And why did he find it difficult to be gracious with his Gentile Christian brothers and sisters? Because I want to say that Peter had to let the reality of the gospel first touch his own heart before it could be fully enjoyed in his relationships. Peter had to confront a false gospel in his own heart that was leading to an ungracious way of relating to others. I'm going to say that again. Peter had to confront a false gospel in his own heart that was leading to an ungracious way of relating to others. Because what we believe affects how we live. So this verse that we looked at, it says in verse 15, it says, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So this is what Paul starts speaking to Peter and the church in Galatia. And when he says this, he's not saying that the Jewish Christians never sinned at all. We are Jews by birth and the Gentiles are sinners. He's not saying that. What he was doing was he was exposing how they thought of themselves as different from the Gentiles. They weren't depraved sinners like the Gentiles who were living in the degradation of the worst kind. It was well known in the Gentile world that there was endless idolatry, immorality, deceit, corruption, theft, murder, and wickedness of every kind among the Gentiles. Pretty much maybe a description of our society today. The Jews were proud that their culture was different. We Jews are not like that, they would say. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. But of course, the Jews were sinners in a different way. Their way of sin was more hidden. They could be callous, judgmental, and racist. They despised the Gentiles, but at least they felt that they were respectable. You see, the truth is there's two kinds of sinners the scandalous sinner, and the respectable sinner. You know, this reminds me of the time when Jesus was chatting to his disciples in Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. And he says, this is what it says in Luke. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. 
but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, there was something in the heart of that Pharisee and in the heart of Peter and in the heart of me and maybe in the heart of you. It's a thing called pride that is most often betrayed in how we relate to each other when we find it hard to extend grace and forgiveness and genuine friendship to another. In the parable, the Pharisee felt he was one up on everyone else because he fasted regularly and he tithed. And Peter felt one up on the Gentile believers because he came from a respectable Jewish society. His nationality and his race made him feel superior. But Paul goes on in this verse, he says in verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And this verse summarizes the heart of the gospel very simply. That word justified, I know in Christian circles we often have terms that we use, but it's a very important word that we can learn to understand. That word justified, sometimes people say justified, never sinned, (coughs) means that God pronounces us as righteous before him because of what Christ did on the cross. Justification is the right status that we have when Christ becomes our Savior. You see, we might still have many weaknesses, and we are far from perfect. Does anyone want to put up their hand and say they are walking perfection? Um, No? Someone? Drew, are you putting up your hand? No? (laughs) (laughs) So we are working, we, we are not walking perfection. We have many weaknesses. We are a long way off from being exactly like Jesus. But we are reckoned as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We are justified before God. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees you are righteous before me. So justification is not the same as personal holiness. Our personal holiness is imperfect. We are still growing in grace. We still have much to learn. And there are weaknesses that we're not even yet aware of because we haven't seen them yet. But people with faith are still perfectly righteous in the sight of God because we are righteous in Christ. This is our justification before the eyes of God. This is why we can say so confidently, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which we sang so wonderfully this morning. There is no condemnation. If you are laboring under condemnation, that is not from God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, Paul was trying to drive home to Peter and the Galatian church that there was no amount of good works or law-abiding living or outward respectability 
that could save them. Not even obeying the Ten Commandments. He says in his letter to the Romans that all our good deeds are like filthy rags when it comes to us earning a right standing with God. There's nothing we can do. So I want to say today that if you know that you are a scandalous sinner, you know that you have done and thought things that you would be ashamed of for others to know, then I want to say there's good news for you. God says that he's waiting with open arms to forgive you and to call you his child. He's able to wash away your guilt and to give you a new life, a life that's empowered by his Holy Spirit. But perhaps you are a respectable sinner. Deep down, you may feel that you are basically a good person and that your family and friends are blessed for having you in their life. Today, you too can know what it means to be made right with God. Perhaps you feel God is calling you and asking you to let go of your pride, to trust in yourself, and instead to place your trust in Jesus. And I want to say today can be that day. Whatever kind of sinner you may be, right where you are sitting, if you need to surrender to Jesus today, I'm going to just pray a prayer right now. I'm just going to ask all of us to bow our heads. And if you feel this is a prayer, you need to pray to your God and to ask him to make you right with him. Then you may pray this. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that there is nothing in me that can save me. I am a sinner and I need you to rescue me. Save me from the lie that I can save myself by my behavior and my willpower. Wash me clean from my sin and make me right with you. Amen. I just want to say, if you did pray that prayer in your heart today, at the end of this um, service, there's a wonderful prayer ministry team. They've got little badges saying prayer ministry on them. And I really want to encourage you to go and tell someone, one of those guys, and say, please pray with me, because today I want to ask Jesus to come and to be Lord of my life. And I really want to encourage you to take that step of boldness and to tell someone what you've prayed. But when we look at the scripture, I also want to say that Peter was speaking firstly to Christians. They had received Jesus as their saviour. They professed that they had faith and understood grace. But the reality was that they were ungracious, judgmental, and easily offended with each other. God wants all of us to understand the true gospel and be discerning of the pure gospel of grace. I think what Paul was doing was he was saying that the litmus test of whether we have a right believing is in how we relate with others. To whatever extent we take pride in or put our trust in ourselves, we miss the grace of God for ourselves and for others. In modern Christian circles today, what would it look like to put our faith in ourselves 
I think it's much more subtle and hidden and maybe a little bit more respectable. It might be things like, well, I think I've got more faith than anyone else. Or, I'm much more open to the Holy Spirit than others. Or, I have a revelation of grace that no one else has. Or, I work harder than anyone else. As soon as we begin to be judgmental of those around us, it's a little flag to say that we have not understood that God has saved us not because of any good in and of ourselves, but by the kindness of his grace alone. The end of that verse 16, in some older translations, it puts it like this. But we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Paul explains the essence of the gospel in these words. We place our faith in the perfect faithfulness of Christ. You see, sometimes we think, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. I've done something. I've had faith. Well, I don't even want to put faith in my faith. I want to put faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Even our faith is weak and wobbly. And I love that story of the man who asked Jesus to heal his son. And he said, Jesus said, you only need to believe. And he says, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. And how many of us sometimes feel like that? We feel, God, I do believe, but my, I'm so wrestling in my faith. God gives us the gift of faith. And I want to entrust my uh, salvation to Jesus' faithfulness than to my faith. Jesus' faithfulness is constant and steady, and I do not trust myself in anything, even my faith. I would rather look to Jesus' faithfulness because my wobbly faith is anchored in his unchanging, steady faithfulness. I live by the faithfulness of Christ. And it's a very subtle difference, but a very powerful one. If we begin to think that it's even our effort of having faith that has saved us. Because as it says in Ephesians, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. The wonderful fruit of believing right is that we are set free from striving and we learn to place our trust in God who began a good work in us and who will bring it to completion. And as we believe right, it keeps our hearts soft and we are able to allow the Holy Spirit to change us from one degree of glory to another. And as we believe right, a veil of our self-righteousness is taken off us and we realize how much we need the grace of God. And when we see our need for the grace and the kindness of God, then we're able to show that same love and grace indiscriminately to others, especially those who offend us. So this is the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing in and of ourselves that makes us right with God. It is a gift of grace from God to us as we place our faith in the loving faithfulness of Jesus. So Paul, he was at great pains to keep the church free in this gospel. 
that no one was exempt, even Peter, who was an apostle, from needing to adjust what they believed so that they came into alignment with the truth. And Paul was at great pains to show that this gospel is not a private affair, but affects how we work out our relationships with one another. This gospel is not only vertical, but it's worked out in our relationship with, with others to the extent that we are able to show God's grace as Christ lives in us. So I want to say our challenge this morning is to invite the wonderful Holy Spirit to come and show us where the things in our lives that are out of alignment with the gospel of grace. Where have we fallen back into striving and our own efforts? Where have we become ungracious to others? I love the word repentance because what it simply means is to change your mind, to change your mind about something. Right believing leads to right living. And I feel that as we take communion this morning, I want to invite us to make it a time of reflection, reflecting on the amazing thing that Jesus has done for us on the cross, that he's enabled us to come close to God, to draw near to God, to find grace for our lives. And let's ask him to help us change our thinking and our attitudes that are no longer in line with that wonderful gospel of grace. And I want to say, we might do that this morning and as we take communion, but I want to say we have to almost do this every day. When you are out in the world, it's an ungracious, unkind place. And that world rubs off on us. We, are having to, we have to keep our lives aligned with the true gospel of grace, that we don't have to do things to earn God's favor in our lives that that is the thing we need to keep ourselves rooted in because it affects how we live and how we relate to others. I love uh, David when he, at the end of Psalm 139, he says, Search my heart, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wrong way in me and keep me in the way that is everlasting. He knew to ask God to come and search his heart. And uh, we're not into a whole lot of introspection and looking inward like this, but it's just a space where we can say, God, let my believing be made right. Change my mind on the things where I need to change. So I'm going to ask uh, if we could just um, have a time of communion together and maybe, I know sometimes we break bread together and that's great, but if you just feel like you need to come and say to God, God, I want to ask you to help me to find those areas in my life where I'm not realigning. It's almost like, I think, ungracious relationships. It's a little flag. Yoo-hoo, something needs to be realigned. And that's what Paul was basically saying to Peter. You need to get back to the basics of what you really believe.